You are Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily fantasy baseball podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, fantasy friends. I'm Scott Cullen, host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, I wrap up my special series with Locked On Baseball Prospects host, Aram Layton. We break down nearly 50 of the top rookies and prospects in baseball and what fantasy owners can expect from them long term. Aram really knows his stuff, and I'm really grateful he took the time to offer his analysis and insight. We've already gone through the first two parts of his interview. Uh, The third uh, piece to wrap it up is terrific. So I hope you... Uh, check it out uh, and enjoy all three uh, of these segments with Aram Layton because uh, we ran long, but it was totally worth it. Uh, first, for today, we'll look at Thursday's star performers, some injury updates, matchups, and DFS tips for Friday as well. So let's start with Thursday's stars. And a surprise a bit is Kansas City starting pitcher Brady Singer. Uh, the rookie went eight innings, gave up just one hit, two walks, no runs, struck out eight in an 11-1 win at Cleveland. Now, Singer still has a 4.66 ERA on the season, 1.26 whip, maybe uh, suggests the the ERA could be better. Uh, And, you know, I think there are hopes for him long-term, but even after uh, discussing with Aram, I think Aram uh, came away with the conclusion that he likes Chris Bubich's chances uh, long-term better in Kansas City than Singer. Uh, So then all of a sudden to have Singer deliver this kind of performance, uh, really uh, an eye-opener on Thursday night. Uh, so now, uh, St. Louis designated hitter, Rango Ravello. It's two for two, two runs scored, three RBIs and a home run in a 12-2 win against Detroit. He hasn't played a ton, but he does have a 949 OPS for the Cardinals. So uh, when he's in the lineup, uh, keep your eyes open for Ravello. Uh, Angels starting pitcher, Dylan Bundy, went seven to third innings. Gave up four hits, one walk, two earned runs, but struck out 12. Uh, and you know what? Bundy now has a 2.4 ADRA, 0.91 whip. Uh, on the season, uh, it's been a remarkable uh, bounce back season, and, and even more remarkable that it's happening with an Angels team that is going nowhere. Uh, that Bundy uh, would pitch as well as he has this year, and it really hasn't uh, had a big factor on a team that is really struggling. Uh, Detroit first baseman, who I'm going to just start including here on a regular basis, it seems, Jimer Candelario. It's three for three, one run scored. Three RBIs, had a home run in a 6-3 win at St. Louis in game two of their doubleheader. Candelario's OPS on the season is up to 979. Uh, there was a lot of value to be had if you scooped him up uh, earlier in the season because he was available everywhere. Uh, Atlanta first baseman Freddie Freeman uh, was two for four, two home runs, four RBIs, and a 7-6 win at Washington. This is the second straight day that we've had Freeman among the stars. Uh, he now has a 1085 OPS on the season, and that's living up to expectations when you're the top first baseman on the board in fantasy, uh, and then you step in and produce just like the top first baseman on the board. Uh, Boston third baseman Raphael Devers was three for four with a run scored, three RBIs, and a home run in a 4-3 win at Tampa Bay. He's up to 10 home runs on the season, has an 861 OPS. Remember when Devers had this awful slump to start the season? Well, he seems to be shaking out of that pretty, pretty clearly now. Uh, Kansas City third baseman Michael Franco was three for five with one run scored, five RBIs, and a home run in, in that 11-1 win at Cleveland. Franco is, is not a, a star performer, but he's usually the kind of guy you can get pretty inexpensively in daily fantasy. 
uh, or if you're looking on the waiver wire, he, he might still be out there. And this is a 790 OPS, respectable, uh, not a star by any means, but uh, can be useful from time to time at a low cost. Uh, Miami center fielder, Starling Marte, was three for five with four RBIs in a 7-6 win against Philadelphia. Uh, he had been struggling uh, since he was acquired from Arizona at the trade deadline, uh, but uh, good for the Marlins to see some production from uh, a player who is, you know, uh, on the verge of being a star himself. And one more uh, notable performance from Thursday night, LA Dodgers catcher Will Smith was four for four. And now he's missed some time with injuries uh, this season, and this was in uh, their loss to Arizona. Uh, but Smith has a 1028 OPS, which for a catcher is, is kind of off the charts. You know, th- this is a position that is bereft of offensive production. And so having a catcher who has a 1028 OPS is uh, quite a, a credit to Will Smith. A uh, few injury updates, and I think we're looking all on the mound right now. Uh, a couple of guys who are coming off the injured list who are going to start on Friday. Arizona starting pitcher Caleb Smith making his first start since July 25th, back when he was with the Marlins. Uh, he was part of that trade for Starling Marte, uh, and that, that was his only start of the season. He, he went three innings, and so uh, we will see how Caleb Smith does in his Diamondbacks debut uh, on Friday. And Baltimore starting pitcher Alex Cobb is coming off the injured list to start Friday against the Yankees. Cobb has a 4.33 ERA and 1.33 whip in seven starts this season. Really low strikeout rate, but that's, um, you know, he, he's still been a respectable addition uh, for the Orioles, at least when he's healthy. And a couple of injuries from Thursday. Uh, Dodgers starting pitcher Dustin May suffered a foot contusion in, in Thursday's loss at Arizona. Uh, with Walker Bueller also on the injured list, the Dodgers starting staff is starting to get a little thin, uh, which you don't typically expect. You know, you, in, in, in recent years, uh, when they've had these kinds of injuries, they could turn to somebody, a swingman like Ross Stripling, uh, who they also traded away to Toronto at, at the deadline. So, uh, the Dodgers are going to have to be a little creative if May is also going to miss time uh, as well as Bueller. In San Diego starting pitcher, Chris Paddock left Thursday's win over the Giants with a sprained ankle. Paddock maybe hasn't been as great as expected this season, but he's obviously a significant part uh, of that Padres rotation. And, and so hopefully the, the sprained ankle won't be too serious, uh, but he's probably going to miss some time and uh, the Padres will have to fill that hole. So now, a couple of matchups that I like for Friday. First, Cleveland with Shane Bieber on the mound, minus 115 at Minnesota and Kenta Maida. Now, this is a tough matchup. Obviously, Minnesota's a strong lineup. Maida's a, a quality pitcher as well. Uh, but, uh, and Bieber's on the road. But it's a rare, reasonable price uh, for the American League Cy Young frontrunner on the mound. And so, at minus 115, uh, I'll take my chances with Cleveland and Shane Bieber. And then, St. Louis with Adam Wainwright. Um, at even money, uh, minus 100 against Cincinnati and Luis Castillo. Uh, Wainwright has been incredible this season. He has a 2.6 ADRA and a 0.92 whip. Uh, and maybe those aren't sustainable numbers, uh, but it's good enough to like him as a slight home underdog uh, against an inconsistent Reds team, uh, including Castillo, who uh, can be great, but also uh, can run into some control problems too. So, uh, Cleveland and St. Louis are, are the teams I like for Friday. Now a couple of DFS tips uh, for Friday's games. And start with Seattle starting pitcher Yusei Kikuchi. It's just $6,200 on DraftKings at Arizona and Caleb Smith. Kikuchi does have a 5.23 ERA and six starts, which isn't great, obviously. But has a 1.19 whip, 2.79 fielding independent pitching with 34 strikeouts and 31 innings. 
by those indications, Kikuchi's probably been a little bit unlucky so far. And uh, getting him against Arizona, a team that's not going great right now, uh, at that price, uh, certainly worth your while. uh, And it allows you to spend your money elsewhere too. Kansas City, first baseman outfield eligible, Hunter Dozier is $3,800 against Pittsburgh, who has Stephen Bro on the mound. And uh, Dozier is a 778 OPS, which is fine, uh, not as not as well as he hit last season, uh, but it's respectable. And Bro has a 1.50 WHIP. That's a decent chance for uh, right-handed hitting Dozier going against a left-handed uh, starter for Pittsburgh. Give you a good return on that $3,800. Practically, my daily uh, reminder: you can grab Seattle second baseman outfielder Dylan Moore, uh, $3,600 at Arizona and Caleb Smith. Uh, Moore is hitting 283 with a 912 OPS this year, has six home runs, nine stolen bases, and still he's a bargain price. And, you know, as long as he's out there on Daily Fantasy at those prices, uh, he's worth your, worth your interest. And one more, uh, Baltimore outfielder DJ Stewart is just $2,200 at the Yankees and Garrett Cole. Obviously, Cole is uh, an ace starter on the other side, but uh, Stewart, uh, who's filling in for an injured Anthony Santander, uh, has a five-game hitting streak right now, during which he's eight for 15. His on-base percentage in 45 plate appearances uh, this season is 488. It's obviously a difficult matchup against Cole, but those are tough numbers to skip over uh, at the price of $2,200 uh, on DraftKings. So uh, Kikuchi, uh, Dylan Moore, DJ Stewart, Hunter Dozier, uh, those are my uh, recommendations for DFS on Friday. So coming up next, the conclusion of my interview with prospects expert Aram Layton host of Locked On Baseball Prospects, and we did a deep dive breakdown on nearly 50 rookies and prospects looking at what they might offer your dynasty team. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have a bunch of great flavors. My favorites are the peanut butter chocolate and salted caramel, but they're all low-fat, low-carb, high-protein, all in a convenient bar. I've been trying to shed quarantine pounds at a boot camp for the past couple of months and having a little bit of success, but I leaned right into it with Built Bar, as part of my post-workout routine. Gave my muscles the protein boost they needed. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to save $10 off your next order. And enjoy the best protein bar on the planet. And now, it's the conclusion of my three-part interview with Locked On Baseball Prospects host, Aram Layton. Aram and I talked for a couple of hours on the top rookies and prospects in baseball, and he brought so much great stuff, I had to break it up over the past three podcasts. I highly encourage you, if you haven't heard the first two, to go back and listen to those as well, because Aram knows what he's talking about and gives great insight on the best rookies and prospects in baseball. It was fantastic. I can't thank him enough uh, for joining uh, Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Let's move on to the Miami Marlins. We're going to your backyard here, Aram, so... Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of names, and you can feel free to uh, expand. Uh, I'm going with uh, starting pitcher Sixto Sanchez and Trevor Rogers, um, but I- I'm turning you loose here on Marlins prospects. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a double uh, double focus for me doing both the prospect show and the Marlins yeah. show. But uh, you know, try to be as objective as possible here. <laughs> where I look at Sixto Sanchez and. You know, there was some concerns with with what I had because I'm going to be really, really nitpicky with a guy that's supposed to be, you know, we're talking about Pedro Martinez comps. I'm not saying he's going to be Pedro Martinez, but with the Marlins never really having a pitching prospect of his kind of shine since Jose Fernandez, I wanted to see, you know, what he was able to do. And in his yeah. first start, he looked really good. There was one concern. It was 
the fastball, which sounds really weird, right? You're like a guy throws hundred miles an hour and you're concerned yep. about his fastball. He, he really never got a lot of swings and misses on the fastball in the minor leagues. The average swing and miss on a fastball in the majors is about 11% whiff rate. He was at about 8% throughout the minor leagues and throwing hundred miles an hour. That's weird. So, yeah, I, you know, I dove into that. Years. Yeah, it's bizarre. So I, I was looking into it and yeah, you know, I, I read more about it. I watch more video and I realized, you know, his fastball has this natural sinking action to it. And for him, his best pitch is his changeup. What does a changeup do? It also sinks, tails and sinks away. So his yeah. fastball and changeup had the same action. We're talking about Nate Pearson not having as much separation between his pitches. Mm-hmm. Sixto Sanchez only has about six miles per hour in separation between his pitches, sometimes less with the mm-hmm. fastball and changeup. So he was really struggling at commanding the upper part of the zone in terms of hitting his spot because of how much the, the, the fastball moved. And, and also because of that movement, it would sometimes for right-handed hitters – would start, you know, up over the middle of the plate and high, then tail back belt high and on the inner half. And that's why he gave up two nukes in his first start. And it <laughs> yeah. was to the eight, nine hitter, Jan Gomes, and then uh, Victor Robles. So that was, and they both were in the same spot. Fastballs that started on the outer half, tailed middle in and tailed down belt high. So he had to add a fastball that had more of a riding action and stayed straighter. He does that between starts and comes out and was lights out the next two starts, getting tons of swings and misses on fastballs in the upper part of the zone. He had zero whiffs in his first start on the fastball, then had double-digit whiffs in the next two starts. So he addressed it right away. And that says something to, you know, how much he's able to improve like from start to start. And also he put to bed one of the main concerns I had about him. This guy, the only question for Sixto Sanchez is the health. The Marlins have been incredibly careful with him. I have been amazed at what he's been able to do with a nasty slider, uh, a changeup that's one of the best in the minor leagues or in the major leagues now, and a yeah. fastball that now he can manipulate to be, you know, a pitch that has that perceived rising action and a pitch that tails away from left-handed hitters or in on the hands of righties. It's just, can he command the fastball well and not leave it over the plate? That'll be the question. But we're talking about a guy that has legitimate ace potential and that's going to rack up tons of strikeouts at the major league level. But even if he's not racking up strikeouts, we'll get you a lot of ground balls and we'll be able to go deeper into starts because he's able to get those ground balls and get double plays when he needs to. Trevor Rogers, he has been a surprise, really. Yeah. Because he was a first round pick. So I, you know, he he has that that polish to him, at least where you know that he has a high ceiling, or at least mm-hmm. once had a high ceiling. He struggled out of the gate because of a slow start to his uh, professional career dealing with some injuries and didn't get a first look until halfway through, I believe it was 2018. And that was a late start. He was pressing a little bit in A ball, wasn't great. But then he comes back last year, was lights out in high A, led the Marlins organization in strikeouts, that's including Sixto Sanchez, and then goes to double A and only makes five starts there. And then he gets the call up. So it was pretty crazy too to see him get moved up. But the thing about Rodgers is he is able to use that length so well. He's six foot six. He comes with an Andrew Miller type of, of delivery. So the mm-hmm. fastball is really hard to pick up and it's 96, 97 sometimes. And it looks even harder with that extension he gets. And with the ability to hide the baseball, he's really worked on a changeup that now looks really good against right-handed hitters. And then he has a slider that looks like it's coming at the front hip of a left-handed hitter. He, I think this is pretty impressive what he's been able to do given that he made a jump basically after a cup of coffee in double a yeah 
And the strikeout numbers have been what have really impressed me because he doesn't really have a plus off-speed offering. But the fastball is so good, and he's able to be so deceptive with it that it makes everything else play up too. Trevor Rogers is worth a look. Look, we need to see more from him, but he's gotten mm-hmm. better every start, and he racked up 10 strikeouts in his last start. This is a guy that six foot six left-handed pitcher that's showing improvement of command every every outing he has. So walks are not really an issue for him historically either. And the fastball is already a great swing and miss pitch. He just has to polish the off speed a little bit more. That to me is all the makings for a guy that's going to have a high ceiling as well. But I think maybe some people think may have the highest ceiling of all of them is Edward Cabrera. And people, yeah. you know, overlook Edward Cabrera because he was unsigned or was a, uh, wasn't drafted. He was an international free agent that wasn't really very highly touted, but was always a flamethrower that was more of a thrower than a pitcher. His strikeout numbers were even better than Sixto Sanchez's. And some teams, some GMs like Edward Cabrera more than Sixto Sanchez, just to put things Mm -hmm. in perspective. I don't know where I stand on that. I think that Edward Cabrera might have better swing and miss stuff. And he might have a chance to get called up by the end of this year too. And that's a guy that I would have on my roster because Edward Cabrera has the potential to be the best of the bunch, which is pretty crazy. And if you look at his numbers, just go take a quick Google and look at Edward Cabrera's numbers. They're ridiculous from last year. And he didn't miss a beat no matter what level he went to and and was in double A for a while last year, still just racking up the strikeouts. Yeah, that's an impressive group uh, there in Miami for sure. And and I think, you know, particularly in the case of Rodgers and and Cabrera, uh, they're they're still flying enough under the radar uh, in in the – kind of fantasy world as a whole. I mean, I think Sanchez, when he had hit the the major leagues, everybody was aware. Uh, but I think Rodgers and, and Cabrera might be real value plays uh, if you're looking on the Marlins roster. Um, what about um, Milwaukee uh, relief pitcher Devin Williams, who's, who's have just an insane season. Uh, there's a 0.53 ERA, 0.59 whip, and 35 strikeouts in 17 innings. Is he a future closer now? And, and I mean, in Milwaukee, they've they already got hater closing games, but you know, we're talking in the abstract here is Devin Williams. A, does he have the stuff to be a, a closer in the major leagues? He wouldn't be your traditional closer, right? Because yeah. he really works off of a changeup and a force, mm-hmm. which is, which is weird. Yeah. I will say that, but it, it's working, right? Like he, he's got ridiculous. <laughs> if you look at his numbers, He's like in the 99th or 100th percentile in like every single figure, whether it's yeah. exit velocity, ERA, barrel percentage, K percentage, he's off the charts, but it's only 17 innings. So yeah. have we seen enough? I think we've seen enough to consider this guy a legitimate bullpen piece, but mm-hmm. is he a closer? I don't know because I've never seen a closer that works off a fastball and a changeup still. Yeah. He, he looks really, really good. I will say that. And and overall, you know, this is a guy that phased out a pitch that wasn't working for him, which I like to see. You know, he used to throw uh, several different pitches. He had a slider that he would mix in there. He had a cutter that he used to throw more. He had also, he had a, a sinker that he used to throw. He gets rid of the sinker and starts throwing a four-seamer more. And look at the results. So I, I like that I that he's made we talk about tangible changes that it, this yep. isn't just, you know, he's doing the same thing and somehow it magically started working more. So <laughs> I, I do like what we've seen still. I have to see a little bit more before I consider him a closer though. Yeah. I think you should be very excited if you're the brewers about the bullpen piece that you have, 
overall the four seamer you know, he's got some ridiculous spin rates on it the change up even crazier it might be one of the best change ups in baseball if he can continue to throw it the way he's been throwing it it's just is that enough a fastball and a changeup as a closer I mean, worked for Fernando Rodney mostly so you know, maybe <laughs> he can fit that kind of mold yeah there's guys that said Fernando Rodney you could he could tell you the changeup was coming and he still couldn't hit it so so he could be that type of guy he really could and yeah. I, I'm I'm excited to see there were some rumors that Josh Hader was available. Maybe he was yeah. part of the reason as to why Josh Hader was available. I think you'd have to wait and see what the Brewers decide to do with Hader. But let's say the Brewers do decide to trade Hader. Devin Williams should be the first man up to be that Obviously, closer. Yeah. So monitor, definitely monitor, because from what he's been able to do with that changeup, I think that he's got the makings to potentially be a closer. We just, we just got to see some more. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's take it to the New York Mets uh, where they have, Andre Jimenez, uh, infielder, who's, I mean, he's hitting 293 right now, but that's better than what he was hitting uh, in the minors. Has seven stolen bases and seven attempts. Basically, will he be able to hit enough to be fantasy relevant uh, in the major leagues? Yeah, that's tough because, you know, power's <laughs> never going to be a part of his game. Nope. And nine home runs was you know, the most he'd ever hit in a season, which was last year. So that that's the encouraging part. But the discouraging part was, that he, he didn't really hit that well last year. We're talking about another guy that struggled in double A and gets the call up. You know, he hits 695 OPS in double A, and then now he's in the major leagues. And so mm-hmm. far, he's been good. You know, he, he's going to put the ball in play. You know, he's going to be a quick guy that steals some bags. I think you talk about seven for seven in 34 games. He could steal you 30 bags a year, no problem. Maybe more, maybe even 40 mm-hmm. bags. So you're going to get the value there. He's a good defender, which is where his major league value comes from. But if you want a guy, you know, that you can plug in, that's going to get you some base hits and steal some bags. You know, if you have more value on stolen bases, then, then yeah, you know, he can do that for you. He does walk a decent amount for a speedy guy, which, which is good to see still. Yeah. I don't think that the bats quite there to be somebody that you can count on. And, and I say in today's game with shortstops, Shortstop is all of a sudden become a position where you're seeing a lot of power hitters, right? You see the mm-hmm. doors, you see the stories, you see these guys. Shortstop, you can get so much production from shortstop elsewhere that I don't know if you can justify him as, as a productive guy fantasy-wise. But yeah. he will be able to hit in the 270, 280 range. But the OPS, I don't think it's ever going to be over 750. You're going to have to get your value from base hits and stolen bases. So it really depends well, on, on how the scoring is. But it, there's definitely some other options shortstop-wise where you can get some more value in terms of driving in runs and, and power and playing in city field just doesn't help for a guy yeah. that already is a little bit stricken for power. Well, and, and look, if he can get stolen bases and you can count on that and he's going to play regularly, then there's, there's probably a spot for him in fantasy because stolen bases are, are becoming a really rare commodity mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, that one category can make him, uh, you know, viable. But as you say, you, you, you start having to make a lot of trade-offs, uh, in terms of you're not getting power and, and he's maybe hitting lower in the lineup. So, so the runs and RBIs aren't there either, but if he steals you 30 to 40 bases, you still, might, you still might have, uh, you know, some appeal there as, as a middle infielder or something, uh, stick with the Mets, uh, and David Peterson, their, their starting pitcher who, who had been going pretty well until Philly kind of smacked him around his last start. I, I like David Peterson a lot. And I had a chance to talk to the uh, Mets beat writer on the Locked on Marlins podcast previewing a series the Marlins had against mm-hmm. the Mets. And he said Peterson, the Mets are you know as high on Peterson as anybody. And 
Brody Van Wagenen traded a lot of guys out of town over the last couple of years, you know, the Mets general manager, but David Peterson was one of the guys that they weren't really willing to give up in a lot of trade talks. And yeah. it's surprising because you're just looking at a lefty that and doesn't really have anything that jumps off the charts. He was a first round pick out of Oregon for a reason though. He's a left-hander who's polished. He has three pitches and he mixes up really well and is able to get a decent amount of strikeouts with that mix. He looked really good before his injury. And I think since he's come back, he, he's been a little bit rusty and it looks mm-hmm. like he's still trying to get back into his groove, but he looked really good before the injury. And I think that's more yeah. of what we could see from him moving forward. He's got a back end profile as a left-handed pitcher. He's going to have value always. I like him. I think that he's nothing you know that you're going to go crazy about, but you can count on him to, to turn out some quality starts and be a very solid major league starter for for a while i think these double a numbers are what you can expect at the major league level you know 4.1 era and he he was able to strike out 122 in 116 innings he's viable he's viable but he's never gonna he's never gonna be much better than that but he's also never gonna be much worse than that so he's safe he's as safe as it gets and and i I do like david peterson uh sticking in the national league east uh philly's third baseman alec bohm uh has some power uh, was the third pick in 2018 and has been called up, uh, took over at third base from Scott Kingery uh, in Philadelphia. Um, and I mean, I don't know how many times we've mentioned this, a guy who, who, who may be getting an accelerated timeline to get to the major leagues. Um, but, you know, how, how soon do we expect Alec Baum to be uh, uh, an impact player uh, for the Phillies? Now, I love oh, Alec now? Okay. I love Alec Bohm. So this is one of my guys. Like this is this is one of the prospects that I, I will I will have to live or die by because yeah. I I am super high on Alec Bohm. And this is just one of the safer hitters that you're gonna find. So advanced, power to all fields, just better every time we saw him. And another late bloomer, you know, a tall yeah. guy that was still figuring out his swing at Wichita State. Then it really clicked for him, and it clicked for him in the Cape as well. I mean, a contact guy, really. He's contact-oriented with yeah. power, and it's natural power. And when I was looking at the spray charts too, because you looked at you know where he was hitting the ball in a park that was pretty big, and then you compare where he's hitting now, which is a very generous park when it comes to hitters mm-hmm. at Citizens Bank, yep. and he's a guy that goes to all fields, and he likes to go oppo a lot. And you talk about right field in Philadelphia. I mean, that's a place where it is very easy to hit it out to right field. And he goes oppo well. I mean, he goes oppo about 40% of the time. The only other guy that goes oppo 40% of the time with the, any semblance of power, but nobody even goes oppo that much except for DJ LeMayhew. And DJ LeMayhew is my comp to him because LeMayhew puts up similar figures when it comes to batted ball, because yeah, if, if a guy goes oppo 40% of the time, sometimes it could be concerning because you're like, you know, can he not can he not turn on it? You know, mm-hmm. can he not pull the ball? But he can pull the ball too. DJ LeMayhew is the only guy that had a, a oppo percentage higher than 39.6%. It was 40%. And the crazy thing too is that he had 21 home runs, did Alec Bohm in 2019, but he hit seven fly balls that would have been home runs to Citizens Bank Park too. That, so oh, wow. you, you consider that. And yeah, he's not playing all of his games at home, but let's say you had another three or four home runs there. Now he has 25 home runs last year. That that makes a big difference. And he also finished August really hot 
He kept rolling all the way, hitting 310 with a 400 on base, 1,000 uh, OPS. And he, he was just all the way around fantastic in August. Six home runs, 17 walks to 15 strikeouts. And then he hit 361 in the Arizona Fall League. Something really clicked for him, and he hasn't stopped yet. He's been clutch all year. I love what I've seen from him. And DJ LeMahieu is my comp for Alec Bohm in terms of what he's able to do hitting-wise. LeMahieu is a sneaky tall guy at 6'4", 6'5", also, that yeah. hits for power. But mostly was contact first. He'd tell you he's contact first, but can hit for power to all fields. Bohm is that same type of profile. Nice. Um, okay, we're moving to Pittsburgh, but we're going to stay at third base with Cabrian Hayes. Uh, first round pick in 2015. He had okay minor league numbers, but as I was watching him, you know, coming up, it, I, I've always kind of had my doubts. Uh, and, and so should I have my doubts or, or should I be looking at what he's done in the, in the small sample of games since getting called up and, and realize that uh, he, he's a legit major league hitter? You, you teased uh, this guy basically earlier by saying we're talking about glove first guys that are yeah, high yeah. on the top prospect lists that you know don't have fantasy value just so to speak mm-hmm. cabrian hayes has the potential to be the best third baseman in baseball defensively like i'm talking yeah. like pushing matt chapman type of defensive profile and that's incredibly valuable at a major league level but it yeah. doesn't really help you in a fantasy aspect yes. like he finished very strong last year he made some changes that I liked. He closed off his stance a little bit. He started also hitting the ball to all parts of the field instead of, you know, he was, I would like to say that he's a glove first guy, but the yep. bat is not going to be a slouch. You know, he's not going to be a guy that you're just like, oh my God, he's a defensive specialist, does nothing else. He's just so darn good offense or defensively that the yeah. offense will never keep up. Look, I think that he could give you some value, but again, we're looking at third base that's a premium offensive position and that's a spot that you know he is going to need to really put up some good numbers because you could look elsewhere and find a guy that might struggle like Alec Bohm for example not a great defender at third base that's the only drawback on him mm-hmm. but Cabrian Hayes is is elite at third base so they're they're comparable in their prospect profile but Alec Bohm is going to put up way better numbers than Cabrian Hayes ever will so that sure. that's the thing that you're going to have to deal with is I think you're going to look at pretty pedestrian offensive numbers. I think he's going to continue to get better. He's a good athlete. He's going to steal mm-hmm. you some bags too. And he's got 20 home run potential. So if he hits you 20 home runs and can steal you 20 bags, you well, got value there at third base. For it's sure. just, I don't think he'd be as highly regarded as a prospect, of course, if it weren't for his defensive prowess. I mean, he, he really is unreal at third base. And you're <laughs> going to be looking at a human highlight reel. If he got yeah. points for every time he made it on top 10 plays, you know, then he'd be a really valuable guy. But unfortunately, it's not It's not how it works. I yeah. still think you can get value out of him offensively. 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases isn't out of the question. But you're going to have to wait to get that kind of value from third base right now. If I'm going to have a third baseman on my team, it's Alec Bohm between those two. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, a guy who, who I've been happy to play in, in daily fantasy uh, this year because he kind of – it seemed that he came out of nowhere is Padres second baseman Jake Cronenworth. I know we got a lot of reps at first base when when Hosmer was hurt early in the year. Um, but, I mean, Cronenworth has just continued to hit. He's hitting 325 as a 939 OPS, uh, a little bit of power and has stolen a few bases and kind of has forced his way into the into the Padres lineup. Do we just believe that Jake Cronenworth is a 300 hitter and, and can 
uh, kind of continue this kind of offensive production? Yes, I honestly do because yeah. this is a guy that's that's hit at every level, really, and, yeah. and even in college, he's hit, he's hit, he's hit, and he's hit. The thing is, is he never really had one tool that jumped off the charts. So he's kind of a scout's worst nightmare, where you overlook him because scouts love to have this, or front offices, or GMs, or whatever it may be, they love to have these guys that have a tool or multiple tools that you can dream on. With with him, you know, he was a pitcher too. He, he is a pitcher too. I'm sure we'll see him in relief in emergency types of situations. So he, he never really focused exclusively on hitting throughout his college career. And even in early on in the minor leagues, he was always doing both. And, wow. you know, towards the end of his minor league career before getting called up, he finally really focused on hitting and, and really honed in on, on his approach. This is a guy that has a sweet swing from the left side. I loved plugging him in my daily fan. He was like $2,800 on, on yeah. DraftKings. Like, He's been so, they so inexpensive. I was like, what are they doing? He hits for power. He can do a little bit of everything. And in that lineup is where he is really just set up for success. Look, if he was playing on the Marlins right now, I don't know if he's putting up the same numbers. I still think he'd be putting up respectable numbers. But when he's in a lineup where you're more worried about Machado and you're more worried about, you know, Fernando Tatis and Mm -hmm. even Trent Grisham's power that he's offered this year, you're going to give Cronenworth pitches to hit. And Cronenworth doesn't miss when he gets good pitches to hit. He's got a really repeatable, simple swing. He can hit it to all parts of the field. And he's got enough power. I, I really like Cronenworth. And from everything that we've seen, like he's never, he doesn't really have a hole in his game. He can do everything. Yeah. And from a fantasy value perspective, he can play almost every position. And I don't know how it works scoring-wise. If he goes on the mound and throws you a couple innings, <laughs> I don't know how that works. But th- that's something that he might be able to do down the line too. But I think the fact yeah. that he's focused on hitting, and there, it's not a coincidence that he's made these leaps from being pretty good of a hitter to really good hitter now that yeah. he's focused on it. But he's never really struggled at any level which should be telling in the fact that this is, this is for real. Yeah. Um, so staying in California, San Francisco uh, called up catcher Joey Bart. Uh, and I guess the, the expectation is that he'd be the heir apparent to Buster Posey. Uh, is his bat so good that they would want to move him off of catcher, I guess would be my question. You know, that, that's what the idea was, right, with, with Joey Bart early on. I will say I've been a little bit disappointed with what I've seen with Bart mm-hmm. offensively and defensively all around. You know, he hasn't really been that great all around so far. Yep. When you look at the minor league numbers, it's really – it's it's been a mixed bag for him, right? You know, at, at the low A, he was really good. But, again, when I talk about guys out of college, I don't really care what you do until you get to high A, maybe even double A. When he got yep. to high A in 2019, it wasn't very – it wasn't very good, really. I mean, he 265. Yeah, he had the 12 home runs, but the 315 on base, he's got to be better than that. Yep. You, you got to be able to do that, especially as a guy that's supposed to contribute some power. And then you look at, you know, what he does at double A, he starts to come back into his own, but it was a small sample size, just 22 games. And another player that we would have wanted to see more from, and we would have probably yeah. seen play longer in double A before getting moved up. Every time I watch the Giants, because I love, I love the late night games. Mm-hmm. Those are always really fun for me. And so I could, yeah. I'll, I love to sit down and watch Joey Bart and just see what he's doing. And, and the problem is it, the game just looks too quick for him right now. And that's what it looks like for me. But he mm-hmm. has come on strong in the last week or so. So maybe things are slowing down for him a little bit, which would be huge. And, and I, I, I do think that he will figure it out. I just think that he, he's a guy that needs time to adjust at every level because 
yeah, he hit it low A out of college after just dominating at Georgia Tech. Then he struggles in high A, but then finishes strong in the second half of his stint there. Then was pretty good in a small sample size in double A. But then to get called up so quickly, struggled making mistakes on the base paths. He was getting crossed up a lot as a catcher. I, I think ultimately his values in his bat. And yeah. yeah, they could move him because they don't want to have a similar thing with Buster Posey where he's getting hurt. You don't know what to do. You want to move him to first back and forth. But if Posey is getting phased out of the catcher spot and he's starting to play first, then yeah. maybe Bart ends up catching more. I think that the value that you can get out of Bart offensively is, at the catching spot is huge because of the fact that, you know, if he's struggling calling games and handling pitchers, that's not really an issue for you because he's yeah. always going to be in the lineup. He's going to bring you value offensively. I just don't know if he's going to meet those expectations that that we had when when he was drafted in the top of the first round back in the day. But I, mm-hmm. I think that he can still salvage and still be a pretty solid player. All right. So now I'm I'm going to be selfish. And, and in St. Louis, there's a guy who I've got on my dynasty dynasty league team, uh, outfielder Dylan Carlson, uh, who was a top prospect. Um, had good power and speed numbers uh, in the minors last year, but uh, since getting called up to St. Louis has, has struggled a little bit uh, hitting 162, 458 OPS and 74 plate appearances. Um, is this just another example of, of somebody coming up maybe a touch before they're ready? Um, but long-term everything will be okay with Dylan Carlson. Please tell me everything will be okay with Dylan Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Carlson, another guy that, he made a lot of adjustments throughout his minor league career to, to improve, you know, for him, the strikeouts were a big concern early on. So he, he starts to to work on that shorten up, trying to make more consistent contact. And then as he started to do that, he tried to add the power back in and you could see the big changes, especially just in his approach. Cause early in his minor league career with two strikes, still a big swing. He starts choking up with two strikes. And even with one strike, he was even choking up. And it worked for him really well in terms of being able to make consistent contact. Then as he wanted to try to get back into the power side of things, he started to add the power back and it worked really well for him in 2019. He found a good balance of the two and the strikeout rate did. You'll see if you were looking at like a, a chart, you know, strikeout rate was high, then it was low and then it went back up a little bit, mm-hmm. but that was okay because he was able to at least kind of combine the two, right? Like his improvements with not striking out as much and then still adding back a little bit of power. But you got to make those adjustments at the major league level too now. And I think he, he needs to maybe go back to that a little bit where he shortened up with one strike, shortened up with two strikes and, you know, was more trying to use his speed more and hit the ball all over the field because he's got plus speed. He's, he's got good hitting ability from both sides of the plate. It's just right now he looks a little bit overmatched. And yeah. we're, we're talking about a guy that, again, double A for 108 games and then 18 games in triple A, and then now he's in the major leagues. I probably would have liked to see a half season in double A where he could tinker with things a little bit more. But I was very encouraged when I saw the changes that he made in terms of shortening up a little bit more between you know, his first minor league season and then his second minor league season and you know, just the approach changes that he made. Because it means he's willing to make those adjustments, and those adjustments worked for him. I think he's going to have to do the same thing in the majors, just make some more adjustments and go from there. The raw tools are off the charts. We're talking about yeah. a five-tool player here, and five-tool players are so rare in today's game. He's going to swipe bags. He's going to hit for power. He's going to hit for average, I think, when he figures it out. It's going to probably take a little bit of time. You know, It's going to be a struggle yeah. for the rest of the season, 
and then maybe even a little bit going into next year. But he's a candidate for me to really hit the ground running next year because one, he's shown the willingness to make adjustments. Two, he's shown that the adjustments work for him. And I think he just has to do that again now at the major league level because I think he got away from what was working for him in the minor leagues. Yeah, that's all good points by you, Aram. Uh, this has been fantastic, but let's let's wrap this up. Uh, Washington Nationals with a couple of infielders, uh, second baseman Luis Garcia and third baseman Carter Kiboom. Um, Kiboom has struggled uh, at the plate uh, both last year and this year, uh, but he has been able to hit in the minors. Uh, Garcia didn't really hit much at double A, but he was also 19 years old playing double A uh, last season. Uh, has hit 293 so far with the Nationals this year. Uh, but only a 707 OPS. So is is it a matter of uh, Garcia just waiting because he's so, he advanced so quickly through the system? Uh, and in Kaboom's case, is he going to be able to translate uh, his minor league production into the major leagues? Yeah, Garcia, I was shocked because he was only, he was only 19 years old last year when he was playing in double A. I mean, he put up some, some solid numbers as a 19-year-old, but – Still not good enough numbers to get moved up, right? We're talking about a guy that had a 617 OPS, a guy that had a 280 on pace percentage. Like, I, I don't know how you call up a guy that was 19 years old in double A. But I, I, I'd be encouraged by those numbers in his long term prospects as a 19 year old, five years younger than his competition. But that I, by no means would I consider calling him up. You know, yeah, that, that yeah. was surprising to me. And I have been impressed with his ability to you just compete at the major league level. But when you point out his 707 OPS, despite the 293 batting average, it's exactly what you would expect in a best case scenario for him, because he has not found that power swing yet, you know, and he hasn't found the ability to lift the ball. That might never be a part of his game, but he's going to hit for more power as he continues to get older and continues to fill out, you know, six, two. Now he's 211 pounds. He did put on some weight, but he still is trying to find that swing and try to get more lift on the ball. I don't know how you call a guy up after having a 617 OPS. <laughs> yep. So far it's looked okay, but he's just up there battling, you know, like he's just up there. He's got such good bat to ball skills that he can battle and he can put the ball in play right now. He's putting the ball in play and it's working out, but I don't really see how this could be sustainable for him after the year he had. He doesn't walk much, right? He, he doesn't walk much. He doesn't hit for much power. So you're counting on just base hits going through and, He's going to have some cold streaks where the base hits aren't falling. And he's yeah. propelled right now by a 362 BABIP. And that's going to, you know, regress back to the mean a little bit. And yeah. now you have a guy that doesn't walk and doesn't hit for power. And he's only 20 years old in the major leagues. I don't know why they would start his clock so early, especially with the struggles that the Nationals are having. Mm -hmm. This one didn't really make much sense for me. Long term, he can be good because the fact that he's showing that he can hit, you know, and, and at least compete and put the ball in play and not strike out. That's encouraging, but he's still far off from making a major impact at the major league level when he wasn't even making a major impact at the minor league level. As, yeah. as for Carter Keyboom, I'm starting to get a little concerned. You know, this yeah. is where he had a stint last year. It was too small to really be worried about it, but then he comes back this year and he doesn't really look like he's made any adjustments. And, you know, when you put up numbers like he puts up in the minor leagues and then in two different stints now, you struggle in the major leagues. I have a little bit of a fear that he's a quadruple A guy. And there's, yep. there's been so many guys like that. And, you know, you, the first guy that comes to my mind is like a Lewis Brinson, right? He put up sure. ridiculous numbers in the minor leagues, but, you know, in the majors just hasn't figured it out. Keeboom will be good. I like, like good enough by, by good. I mean, good enough to be a major league player, 
but I don't know if he's going to be the type of guy that we we thought he could be when he hit 303 with 16 home runs in in Triple A. Again, he he benefited in Triple A from you know just the fact that the ball flies in the PCL. But in Double A, he was more of a 280 hitter with an 800 OPS. You would take that, but I just don't know if he can do that. I, I'm not sold at all yet, and I'm a little bit concerned. I will say, look, it's a small sample size. I know in these two stints, and we got to see what he can do. But I don't think that the, that the lofty ceiling that he once had is going to be reached. I think it's more realistic to look at him as you know a 275 guy that could hit you 15 home runs. Look, he's a major yeah. league regular, but maybe that's about it. And, and that the, the expectations need to be tempered a little bit with Kibum, I think at this point, I will say he's only 22 years old and he's got some time to figure it out, but I just haven't seen him make any changes. And that's the part that kind of is frustrating for me. Yep. That's fair points, fair points. And, and certainly people who have you know gone and, and drafted Carter Kibum and uh, you're sitting here looking at a guy who's hitting under 200 in the major leagues. Uh, I think you get worried uh, about, Yes, may, maybe he's going to figure it out, but ha- how many years are you going to uh, sit and wait uh, on that player? Uh, anyway, uh, Aram, this has been awesome. Uh, I, I really, really appreciate all your insight, and uh, thank, thanks so much uh, for coming on Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Thank you so much, too. Thanks for having me, and hopefully we can uh, do it back on my show, and I'd love to talk fantasy with you on the Prospect Show. For We can go dive, dive into Dynasty as well. Absolutely. Anytime, man. This is, this was great. Thanks. Thank you so much. That'll do it for today. I'll be back Monday with more fancy baseball news. Send me your questions. I'm at by Scott Cullen on Twitter. The show is at LO underscore fantasy MLB on Twitter. If you want to fire off an email, send it to locked on fantasy baseball at gmail.com. Find us subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That wraps up this edition of locked on fantasy baseball. Now tell your smart device, play the most recent episode of Locked On Baseball. Stay safe and stay locked in with Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily source for fantasy news and analysis. 